Welcome to Constantinople, a podcast of the St. Constantine School. This is a forum episode. My name is Megan Muller, and I am joined here today by Dr. Timothy Bartell. Hello. And David Gilbert. Hello. Mr. Gilbert teaches in our uh, upper school. I teach Great Books 2 and Great Books 4 and the Senior Ethics Seminar that we have. Also sixth grade math. There you go. Sixth grade math. And uh, Dr. Bartell teaches in our college. I do. I'm the writing director, I suppose. I make sure that students can write whole sentences, not just capably, but elegantly. There you have it. Uh, Like I said, today is a forum episode. That means that rather than uh, shooting the breeze about a topic of our choice, we are actually going to uh, have a little mini discussion here, do a little bit of a Socratic style uh, education right before your very ears. We are currently in the Advent season, so we are sticking with that theme. Does somebody want to take it away with reading that poem out loud? I'll read this. Uh, It's called The Coming by R.S. Thomas. And God held in his hand a small globe. Look, he said. The sun looked. Far off as through water he saw a scorched land of fierce color. The light burned there. Crusted buildings cast their shadows. A bright serpent. A river uncoiled itself, radiant with slime. On a bare hill, a bare tree saddened the sky. Many people held out their thin arms to it, as though waiting for a vanished April to return to its crossed boughs. The sun watched them. Let me go there, he said. I think we should start maybe by just discussing this poem before we move on to adding a second one to the mix. This is the first time we've tried to tackle uh, two pieces of poetry in one uh, forum episode, and I honestly don't know if we're going to have enough time because uh, what you just read, Tim, is enough fodder for much discussion. What are our initial thoughts here? The things that we are supposed to trust to be good aren't in the first stanza. I feel. What do you mean? When the sun looks at the small globe, he sees a scorched land of fierce color. Um, Color there does not seem like a positive description. It's not necessarily good color. Um, The color is fierce and it's coming from something that's scorched. And then, then in that same line, the light burned there. Now that could be a good thing. Like light burning can be comforting. And Christologically, light is a great thing. But the light burned there does not seem like a good thing. And then the bright serpent is a river that uncoils itself radiant with slime. I mean, obviously Mm. slime is not good, but Mm -hmm. radiant we usually use in positive connotations and water itself, a river. This is a bad river. It's bad fire. It's bad Mm. color. Um, It's radiant, but it's bad. I am just surprised by the use of all of those descriptions because they make you think about good things, but they are twisted. Yeah, this reminds me a little bit of... um... Gerard Manley Hopkins, especially that word slime, he talks about um, the ooze of oil crushed in a poem, God's Grandeur, which is largely about the glory of the natural world. So it seems like Thomas is in this tradition of, well, doing two things, maybe simultaneously. One, 
describing the natural world in vivid ways, but ways that are vivid in their kind of grossness almost, or at least are are showing perhaps the the vividness of the gross, or maybe even asking us to reconsider whether slime is gross. I mean, algae in a river can be frankly disgusting, but it can also be beautiful, right? It, it, it lends color to rivers. I thought that he was talking about two different things with the bright serpent, a river uncoiled itself, but I can see, I, I love the river uncoiled itself. Mm. And especially with God holding the small globe and looking at it, I, I'm picturing like a, like a zoom in from the sky mm-hmm. to see the land. And there's this river and it's bright and it's, Wait, it's like, is it a serpent? A river uncoiled itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what you mean, Megan, because the the language here is harsh. Scorched land of fierce color. Um, the line that I keep looking at is the crusted buildings cast their shadows. Ooh. And I love that, but the idea of a crusted building sounds... It sounds gross. And I, so that those descriptions of the scorched land and the light burning and the crusted buildings make me think that I should read the river as just as gross and horrifying. Mm-hmm. Well, and it I, I'm realizing he's playing with enjambments here. Enjambment mm-hmm. is where you end a line before the end of a phrase, and it can and it can often uh, create kind of double meanings. So when we have um, he saw, end of the line, a scorched land of fierce, end of line, color. So a scorched land of fierce, that seems all negative, like, ugh. But color, just as an idea, seems to be a positive, right? It's, it's colorful. It's lively. So that break after fierce and then going down to color makes us expect something even worse. A fierce fire, a fierce war, no, a fierce color. And then, so, so so that surprises us by seeming all pretty bad and maybe even getting worse. And then it surprises us with some beauty and positivity. Then he uses enjambment a little later, uh, cast their shadows, a bright, what, a bright sunrise? No, a bright serpent. And, and that bright is the end of a line. Serpent's the beginning of the next line. So now he's using enjambment to make us expect positivity. And then we go to negativity. Now, a servant wouldn't necessarily be negative in every poem, but my goodness, this is a God and the world. Yeah. Yeah, So obviously servant, we have very strong uh, Genesis uh, three implications, especially Um, David, you pointed out God's holding in his hand, a small globe, mm -hmm. but there's a snake wrapped around it. Ooh, yeah. We're definitely getting like Genesis, like the world is like a piece of fruit and the snake has, you know, like you're imagining it like literally wrapped around it. Like the, the earth is because of the fall in the clutches, but it also, so R.S. Thomas is Welsh poet. So we're getting, we're getting that, but I think we're also getting the mythological idea of the serpent that is wrapped around the world who holds its tail in its mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that's Nordic, isn't it? There's also a... Like, Thor and Loki deal, I know yeah. they deal with that snake. There's that time yeah. when he's trying to prove how strong he is and they tell him to lift a cat off the floor. 
and he tries to lift a cat and you know how cats when you try to pick them up from their stomachs they arch their backs and it gets hard to actually pick their feet up off the ground and so this cat just keeps arching and Thor keeps trying and trying to lift the cat but it turns out the cat wasn't a cat it was actually the serpent that binds the world and he was like actually managing to move it a little bit and I don't remember if he actually gets the cat's feet off the floor but it's like wow you actually are really strong you almost pulled the serpent off the planet (laughs) (laughs) anyway side note well, I, I think the the mythological connotations in this poem, e- everything I think is a mythological connotation. Um, the uh, the scorched land, um, the ideas of of wasteland. I don't know if this is written after Eliot's wasteland. My guess is it is, but what? But that goes actually back to the eighteen eighties with the God's grandeur poem again, and then of course before right medieval ide ideas of the wasteland in Arthurian legend. So most of these nouns, I think we could, we could hang out with their long cultural Christian mythological implications. There's also um, the David, you pointed out the crusted buildings. There's sort of a hint of industry here that I think is interesting Mm -hmm. because what we're talking about, right, is Advent. We're talking about the coming of Christ. So this is this is not 19th century, 20th century Wales, which mm-hmm. from R.S. Thomas's perspective, he has seen crumble under the industry of especially particularly mining. Right. Mm. So so I'm, I'm also getting this sort of um, this sort of like Welsh response to the destruction of the natural world because of, you know, the sort of polluting industry that crusts over your buildings and you know the fires the scorched land there's also that that element i think that that is coming to mind for me as well because that's i mean it is in the other language with the crusted buildings in particular it's sort of hard to imagine what i I, maybe it's because we're 21st century readers but it's hard not to just think about um yeah about about industrial impact yeah i I totally agree and and that's what's so striking about that that line um, everything else it it recalls Genesis in the garden and uh, you know a, 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 a yeah a, like a garden world and even even when it's scorched it doesn't seem too far from the Genesis idea you know it's 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 natural in some way but then the crusted buildings cast their shadows feels like a modern input on the natural world in this first stanza. Mm-hmm. It's man's secondary corruption of nature, right? You have the yeah. primary corruption that the serpent uh, creates, and then there's the secondary corruption of man going on to keep building fallen and polluting. Things. Sure, I and I would I would say it's both both stanzas. There's not another like artifice that's mentioned. Mm-hmm. Everything else is like the boughs of yeah. a tree. And a hill in the sky. Though a river radiant with slime could very easily be mm-hmm. a polluted river. Yeah, also. you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of algae, but yeah. Right. It, it could be like literal, you know, and that's what happens. I mean, I mean, the mining industry has a it has obviously like a huge impact on the natural wa- landscape. Mm-hmm. And we're thinking about whales, right? It's like this gorgeous, hilly chilly verdant green landscape that, you know, that that, that is what happens it, um when when mining is introduced into a community. Hmm. 
So if that's the case, it seems like what's being introduced here into the idea of the whole reason for Advent, the whole reason for Christ's coming, isn't just to save man from the serpent, it's to save man from his own ongoing corruption of himself and nature. And maybe even corruption of his own buildings, right? These aren't buildings that are creating... Let's make them crusty. Yeah. It's crusty buildings. So, <laughs> yeah. so I almost want to say, and maybe it's because I've been thinking about architecture a lot, not all buildings are crusted buildings. And in fact, if you have a not very polluted city, the buildings, in fact, stay nice and shiny. But you have to work to keep them shiny. David, could you read again this second stanza? On a bare hill... A bare tree saddened the sky. Many people held out their thin arms to it, as though waiting for a vanished April to return to its crossed boughs. The sun watched them. Let me go there, he said. So I'm confused about what we're supposed to think the people are doing. They're standing there with their arms out to a tree? Like, I get sim- symbolically, there, there's, right, that uh, on a hill far away stole, stood an old rugged cross. And Christ's desire to go to them is, you know, it's beautiful. But, and it's but not what, just what their people. Waiting? It's like he says, let me go there. There's an yeah. ambiguity where he might be thinking, like, looking exactly at the tree. Like, let yeah. me go yeah. there Ooh. to that tree. Yeah. Not just let me go there to that little world the little globe that god the father is holding there's yeah i I think i think it's perhaps both are we supposed to think that these people are are like worshiping nature in holding their arms out to the tree i'm I'm a little confused by the imagery i think so i wonder i wonder if the vanished april will help so it says as though waiting for a vanished april to return to its cross bows i'm not sure what the vanished april is supposed to mean like a spring that you remember like a time of you know moderate warmth and 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 the, the leaves quiet. coming back yeah, leaves coming back uh maybe fruit That's coming back yeah i mean this is a scorched earth mm. a scorched land of fierce color and so if they're looking back for a vanished april as though for a as though waiting for a vanished april it they're waiting for the like the spring that they remember to to come back and there's nothing green right there, there's mm-hmm. no there's color but it's fierce color we're imagining mm-hmm. warm tones yeah. right mm-hmm. we're imagining reds and oranges and yellows um mm-hmm. we're not imagining the the soft colors of freshly growing grass and you know white flowers and you know that mm-hmm. that sort of thing so i think i think david there is an element of it where it's people who are reaching like a baby right thin arms reaching for something Mm -hmm. that they want it doesn't make sense for adults right like if we imagine a bunch of adults standing around a tree who are thinking i want this tree to break out in green leaves and flowers Mm -hmm. they would not reach their arms at it like please tree give us flowers but it's a very childlike impulse Mm -hmm. like a desire causes you to extend yourself toward Mm -hmm. Even if the thing you want isn't just to get the thing, you want the thing to do a thing for you, but all you know how to can do is communicate simplistically arms, with yeah. your body. And I mean, the, the arms are thin. I think we're supposed to get a sort of like impro- impoverished yeah. image with these people. But it is, it's an it's a, it's a infantile impulse mm-hmm. to reach your arms out to a thing that you want something from. Or a worshipful. Yeah, yeah it, can, it can be. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, it can be worshipful too, certainly. Um, so I yeah I, I I have to like switch my mind a little bit if I read it as it's like babies 
or it's like tree worshippers. I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, but both, druids. I, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think I think of druids in the sacred groves. You know, having their their worship. I don't know a lot about the details of druidic worship, but as far as I know, it's based on the cycle of the seasons. But this isn't, I think, supposed to be just a oh, it's currently fall or winter, and this is something they do, and then spring comes. April doesn't come anymore, I don't think, in this world. It's a vanished April. The hill is bare. The tr- the tree is bare. That bear is repeated twice in the space of four words, which a poet of economical language like Thomas, <laughs> uh, clearly that's very intentional on his part. He didn't have to use bear twice. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, linguistic or formal aspects, Every line of this poem is either five or six syllables long, except for two. Uh, There are two seven-syllable lines. They are uncoiled itself radiant, and them let me go there, he said. Those are the two extra long lines. I guess, depending on how you pronounce uncoiled itself radiant, that could actually be eight syllables. But it's interesting that the description of the serpent and the description of Christ wanting to go to earth or go to the people or go to the cross are the longest lines. They stand out. I also like that they would be each the final line of the stanza, but the first stanza, it's the penultimate line because we have the anedim of with slime. Yeah, with slime. And then it's broken. (laughs) With slime, break on a bear but there there's it's mm-hmm. on a bear is indented yeah this reminds me of of a like post industrial world version of milton's paradise lost book three because milton's paradise lost book three is a really long version of this god and christ uh, the father and the son are looking down at the world seeing that the serpent is going to corrupt man and then they kind of speak of the fall as if it's already happened and also as if it's happening. And then the father says, who will go? And there's silence in heaven. And then the son gives a long speech saying, I will go, father. This is a much more intimate, but also kind of much more heartbreaking version of that. God doesn't ask Christ to go in this poem. He just says, yeah. look. He says, look and holds it out in his hand. Mm-hmm. Um there's no someone needs to go yeah. or should you go or mm-hmm. one of us should go uh-huh. um, or you're my son. You have to go. Mm-hmm. It's 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 the son's idea. Mm-hmm. Someone should go and that someone should be me and mm-hmm. I should go right there right now. Mm-hmm. It's so simple. And let it, me go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it's it, so. I, yeah. Go on. You talked about the arms being childlike the let me go there is childlike Mm -hmm. it's it's sort of this beautiful christ response isn't oh that's a problem that needs to be solved it's a i want to go there but it's also dad let me go right he's he's asking for his father's permission it's Mm -hmm. not just i'm gonna go like Uh superhero you know grown-up jesus making decisions Mm -hmm. he he appeals to god as the father and Mm -hmm. says um and acknowledges his authority while asking for uh, for this thing, yeah, I like that. I think I think he's going to the place on the hill on the bear mm-hmm. tree. Yeah, because the sun watched them, and mm-hmm. the them refers to many people held out their thin arms to the tree 
on the hill. Mm-hmm. And well, I mean, the boughs of the tree are crossed, right? right it's yeah. very the, the yeah. connotation. I, I would. If we were workshopping this poem with the illustrious Mr. Thomas, I would say, are you sure you want the boughs to be crossed? I mean, we're going to get it, even if you don't say crossed boughs. But I will defer to his uh, authority. There's a there's an interesting um, the the emphasis, like, let's be clear, crucifixion, right? Mm. This isn't just like a sad winter tree. This is the cross, um, the 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 simultaneous Christ sees a bare tree and there the people are desperately wishing for spring. And mm-hmm. he says, let me go on that tree. Yeah. I can be the thing they're looking for. I am mm-hmm. the vanished April. I am yeah. spring. Like I'll yeah. go down there and it'll be spring again. Mm-hmm. But we also are thinking, okay, it's the cross. Yeah. And what the, and it's, that's an interesting moment for me because it's not people desiring the resurrection because spring will come. Mm-hmm. You know, the April will come. If someone comes here, it's if they're they're the cross is the thing that they want someone to be on. Mm-hmm. Now, in this moment, we are like, that's so sad and mm-hmm. terrible for those people. They want someone to come to be on their cross. But that's a problem, right? Like mm-hmm. we this is something that we in the story of the crucifixion, we condemn the people who mm-hmm. say, well, we need somebody to be on this cross. Who's it going to be? Oh, crucify yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, in this, they are childlike, desperately wanting someone to be on the tree so that mm-hmm. it can be spring again. And that's great. But it's the moment of the crucifixion, not the resurrection, not the incarnation, mm-hmm. that people are desperately longing for. Mm-hmm. And Christ says, let me fulfill that desperate desire. Well, and, and I think that's both a desire for a desire for sacrifice, but also it's it's a desire for food, right? They're hungry. Yeah. And, right, it's Eucharistic. Yes. Right, Christ is the sacrifice that is the meal. Um, Let me feed them seems to be implied there. Um, man, Tom, Thomas is, he, this is a pretty spare poem, and he's packing a lot of connotations into small space. I, I wanted to ask, we didn't, we skipped over this part of the description when we first started talking about the poem. And now that we've sort of um, talked through to the end of it, I want to go back to make sure we talk about this because I really don't have any ideas right now. Um, in the fourth, third and fourth line, mm-hmm. we get this description of, of the sun looking at the small globe. And so the, the poem begins, and God held in his hand a small globe. Look, he said, the sun looked. And then here it is. Far off, as through water, he saw a scorched land of fierce color. That description of far off as through water, like you said, Tim, he's very Mm -hmm. sparse with his words. Mm -hmm. Why is that important and what is it telling us? I was thinking the same thing. Because far far off and through water both um, distort the image. So if you're looking yeah. through water um, and something's in it, it'll look smaller than it is. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking far, from far away, it also looks smaller, but it looks you, – you can't see the details. You can't see all of a thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that far off and as through water, he sees everything. If Now, if it's distorted, then that would suggest that Jesus is seeing a distorted world. Mm-hmm. Either his – Vision is distorted, or they are themselves distorted. 
Yeah, I, I think of almost like, I, this isn't a trope in movies nowadays, but I think in the 90s and 80s, when someone was remembering something, and it th- there, would, there would be like a, like a shimmery like water image, and then it would be like the past. Um, <laughs> th- that, that's sort of my knee-jerk pop culture uh, feeling about this. But my other feeling... Can you feeling, think of a specific example? Um, oh... Not really. Wait, just now. Tim looked off into the distance and was like, you said, can you think of an example? And Tim uh-huh. goes, ah, oh, and then flashback to Tim in the past, <laughs> watching movies <laughs> where it's happening. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so that's my knee-jerk pop culture response. My, like, my, like, overly theological response is, oh, the water is the birth of water, right? Uh, Christ has to be born of water. He has to be in Mary's amniotic fluid and come out of her. That's his passageway into the world. And so he's seeing as through the coming birth of water, which is both baptismal and also just natural birth. He's seeing what he's going to go into. But that, that might be reading actually too much into it. But as through water, we must be born of water in the spirit. I don't know. I yeah, don't know. it could be going on. Yeah, I was I was thinking about baptism, but the distortion thing is is the is uh, is a difficulty for me with mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, it would be. Well, it would make you kind of go, "What's going on?" If mm-hmm. his vision was distorted, if mm-hmm. God, if God or Jesus's, um, yeah, perception was unreliable. Though the idea of mm-hmm. looking through the salvific water of baptism mm-hmm. into a fire. Like a world on Ooh. fire, you know the world. Like that's I, I'm. That's what I'm getting. Like okay. The, like like the 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 beauty of nature has been burned away. The river is slime. There's no mm. there's no good water left. There's mm. no good earth left. There's crusty buildings and scorched land and fire and a bright serpent, radiant with slime. It's glorying in its disgustingness, yeah. right? Radiant with slime. Yeah triumphant um but christ sees all of this through and we don't get a description of what the water is but it's just mm-hmm. well, through it's, water it's not through water it's as through water that's right yeah. yeah so it's it's like it's as if you were trying to see something uh that was behind water or something but maybe it's the as through water suggests that no the world really is like that shrunken distorted kind of thing that moves around it's not it's not the problem with jesus's Hmm. eyes Mm -hmm. it's like they've just become short and small and distorted yeah distorted as through water yeah huh but i really like being in water and opening your eyes and there's fire outside Mm -hmm. well and water and fire are also the images of baptism, the baptism of John, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Right. Right. There's Pentecostal imagery there. Um, yeah. This is this is this is a once again a connotation filled poem. I'm, I'm starting to think. Yeah, water has to be baptismal um, and birth related. Mm-hmm. But I like that it also works as a sort of like oh yeah when you see something far off or in movies when they sort of look off into the past Doo-hoo. oh I know, I know i know yeah yeah the the wayne's world the uh-huh. oh, never mind. 
I like also that this is a poem that that doesn't show off its poetryness. This doesn't have like these and thous. It's not um it's not so self-conscious of its language like someone like Hopkins that we say, "Okay, okay, you're being all poety." It's it's spare but but very vivid. And I I think I I admire that in someone like Thomas cuz I think it would be very easy and advent poetry is very hard to write uh, as someone who's currently trying to write some advent poetry i can say this is incredibly difficult to do and thomas is just really doing well this reminds me a bit of um the journey of the magi by uh by t.s Eliot, who he does similar things very very stark imagery not very fancy but deeply connotative there's something interesting um, I thought I toyed with us discussing the gift of the Magi in conjunction with this poem. But um, now that you've mentioned it, I will just say one of the things that I, that strikes me about this poem in particular, the coming is the detailed descriptions are reserved for things that we have access to as humans who live in the fallen world. Mm. There is no description of God. It just says God held in his hand and he says, look, there are no, there are no words that give us the context or his feelings or his mm. emotions. Um, and then the same about the sun. The sun looked, and then there's a description of the world, and then the people who live on the world, and then it says the sun watched them. Let me go there, he said. There's no, how was God feeling? How mm. was Christ feeling? What's mm. going on with these people? The description, the the rich detail, all comes from things that we have access to as whether it's twenty first century fallen citizens of the world or if we are trying really hard to think like is is god showing christ the globe in time that's its own Mm -hmm. question right like is he looking down and seeing the effects of all of civilization both Mm -hmm. the fall itself and humanity's lack of ability to care for our own planet right so Mm -hmm. you know we're saying well it's it's not you know it's not it's it's not chronological, but we're getting some of these like Welsh mining industry vibes. Like mm-hmm. if we're thinking about God and Christ outside of time, he very well could be showing him a planet where not only is it just like yesterday when Adam and Eve fell, but we're also seeing, you know, the the complete and utter destruction of the natural world because they're mm-hmm. outside of time. I don't know. Okay, so uh, th- this brings up something I wasn't going to say earlier because it sounded dumb to me, but now I wonder if this would fit in. If this is, in fact, a sort of the world has just been created and they're looking at it, could the as through water be the firmament of oh, okay. water okay, in the heavens? The thing, yeah. uh, right. He, he divided the waters from the waters. Um, that gets into uh, like Genesis uh, conspiracy theories or like uh, <laughs> was was there was there a sea in space? Uh, we always talk about this in freshman great books class. Like, <laughs> It starts to intimidate me to think about this because I was thinking about the scale of this poem mm-hmm. being um, too, uh, too – actually, we don't, we don't have any understanding. All we know is there's a god and a son. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say – 31 year old christ it doesn't say little boy it doesn't say full-grown man it doesn't say the form of christ whether Mm. that's you know uh, as as a little tiny baby or a little boy or you know older than he was when he was crucified so there's no there's no specifics for me to imagine them but i was imagining um and like an adult son and Mm -hmm. a father to the scale of humans and Mm -hmm. holding a small globe in the mm. hand of a father because mm-hmm. that's 
I can wrap my head around that. Yeah. But if we're imagining them looking through as through water, I'm zooming out and I'm imagining the actual world with its actual proportions surrounded by actual water, which is the atmosphere Mm -hmm. being held in a like, I can't imagine it giant hand. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't know where they are or how I can't understand how big they are. But now I also don't know how old Christ is. How old mm-hmm. is this son? Because this is. Well, their, it act, sounds their action like, is, is looking. And so that's all you get of them. Right. And so I think you're right that the, the action and description of God and Jesus are very limited. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we don't they're even looking. They're we don't, looking at something. We don't even have the name Jesus or Christ. Right. Yeah. We have God and son. Yeah. Which and son is not capitalized, mm-hmm. which I think m- maybe intensifies this idea of youth in him. Um, but of course, if we're talking about the pre-incarnate Christ, Christ has no age, right? In his divine nature, uh, he is eternally begotten of the Father. But the idea of sonship implies youth. Uh, theologically, this also is... a dad with something in his hand saying, "Look at this ball." Yeah, that's what you do to a little boy. Yeah, yeah I know. Like, hey, look at this. Mm-hmm. Ooh, let me go there. Let me go there. Oh. But not, but not yeah. excited. Let me go there. Like, yay! It's I don't, yeah. I don't want to try saying it because I totally get choked up. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that let me go there is, it's, it's what makes this poem a good poem. I think, um, the rest of the poem is, is, is just working up to that. Well, I, maybe this is this is a mystery that maybe Milton delves too much into. He gives long soliloquies to the sun. Perhaps that's a place where angels and man should fear to tread. Like, how do you put words into the sun's mouth? Thomas seems to be bold in putting any words, but if you're going to put words, these seem the right ones. All right. Thank you all very much. Uh, this has been Constantinople, a podcast of the St. Constantine School. Thanks for listening.